0: All right, get a lot of feedback here. So we're not continuing in our series in first John today. We'll pick that up uh, in a couple of weeks, first Sunday of the new year. Uh, but we want to spend a couple of weeks reflecting upon the Christmas story. So I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter two, Luke. Chapter two. If you don't have one of these cards, because you put up, put up your hands, Sonia you will, uh, or I'm sorry, Kevin will uh, put one of these in your hands. Anybody still needs one of these? All right, cool. So I'm going to refer to this as the sermon progresses. Uh, it's going to give you a chance to engage with the sermon, to uh, respond uh, towards the end. So I want to encourage you to uh, keep your Bible open uh, and uh, and your hands on that. So title of our message today is Hope uh, for the Holidays. Hope for the Holidays. Uh, now, I want us to go back. Uh, there should be a picture. Can we show them the next picture? All right. So this is kind of... They're, they're having a lot of fun back there. Um, uh, we tend to think of hope a lot and a season such as this. We think of hope. I think every... Uh, no matter what religious background you hail from no matter what ethnic background you are from, everybody approaches a season like this and they're looking for hope. They're hoping for hope. Um, so we make Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Anybody seen one of those Hallmark Christmas movies or even the not so Hallmark Christmas movies like It's a Wonderful Life? Anybody seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. That is my favorite Christmas movie, um, which I know It's kind of, some people don't like it that much, but I I like it a lot. Um, But you know, all of those Christmas movies uh, seem to have this this thread of hope where things are going bad. The guy's trying to get home to see his estranged father for Christmas, and they're going to try to make up before he dies of cancer. And, and, you know, the whole nine yards, then it gets stuck in a blizzard like three hours away. And so he's trying to make it home to dad. All of these kinds of things happen. Uh, in these in these Christmas movies, but somehow it always works out at the end, uh, and there's this there's this thread of hope that we all like to latch onto. Um, what the Christmas story does is it, it endows us with that sense of hope. Now this picture here, it's kind of like that one of those classic iconic Christmas images, right? When you think of warm fuzzy, happy, I'm filled with hope kind of thoughts. Like This is is a kind of a a picture that, that you would imagine, right? You and a friend, you and a family member, you and your spouse sitting outside, sipping some hot cocoa around this beautiful Christmas tree. But the reality is that even though we are longing for hope, even though we are trying desperately to latch on to hope, many of us struggle... To actually experience hope. Could be that 2016 has thrown you some curveballs. Maybe personally. Maybe you've had some financial setbacks. Maybe you got laid off at work. Or or maybe you've had some unexpected illnesses. Some test results that you didn't see coming. Or maybe it's something in the church. A curveball that got thrown at you. Or maybe it's something as a country that we faced. And I know that a lot of us, we've, we've talked about it. A lot of things happened in 2016 that we didn't see coming. And many people feel discouraged. Many people feel dispirited. And so they wanna turn on those Hallmark movies. They wanna watch that funny, feel good Christmas story because they desperately are in need of some hope. And they're like, 2016 has let me down. So I'm gonna find hope in front of the tube. I'm gonna find hope On Netflix, I'm going to find hope with this Christmas movie. Now, there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent. I'm not knocking any of those Christmas movies. I just told you I like it. It's a wonderful life. But what the Christmas story does is it is the story. And it is part of the story of the world. The story that endows us with that sense of hope. The story that all those other stories get their sense of hope from. You see, God is the great storyteller. God is the master artist. He's the one that has been, has been writing this grand narrative. He's the one who's been weaving this majestic tapestry since the beginning of time. And in that tapestry, there is this thread of hope. Sometimes it's high and sometimes it's low. And sometimes it might be hard to spot as history unfolds. But there is always hope. Somebody said that, that Jesus is the focal point of history. And it's true. That's why for 2000 years, Christians have been commemorating the birth of Christ. Actually, we're, we're commemorating the incarnation of Christ. I don't want to shake anybody's faith here today, but we don't know actually what day of the year Jesus was born on. It might not have been December 25th. What we are celebrating is we've taken a day to set aside. Jordan's about to freak out. We are, we have taken a day to set aside, to celebrate the fact that God became a man. We're celebrating the incarnation. And we've just chosen this particular day every year. We've been doing it for 2000 years that we are going to celebrate that God has become a man. And when he does that, he provides us with hope. So here's the big idea of this sermon. I should have it up on the screen on the next slide. In a world full of despair, Jesus is the beacon of hope that we need. In a world full of despair, Jesus is the beacon of hope that we need. So as we unfold this text that's before us, as we reflect on hope, here's what my challenge to you is. I want you to think about your life, your circumstances, where you're at, and where you are in most desperate need of hope. And then let's apply that Christmas story. An old, old story that we are really, really familiar with, but let's apply it to our hearts in a real, fresh, tangible way thinking and reflecting upon all that's happened to you in 2016 that maybe was not so hopeful. Because the truth is that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that, in and of itself, provides hope. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. Now, I'm going to pick up a couple of verses after where Emily left off when she read the Christmas story earlier. About 40 days after Jesus' birth, His parents took him to the temple to offer him to the Lord. You see, they were Jews, and they followed very carefully, to the best of their ability, they followed the Old Testament law that was given to all of the Jews. And it said that about 40 days after a firstborn son was born, you would take him to the temple and you would offer him to the Lord. And you'd offer a sacrifice, you'd offer a lamb. But if you were poor and could not afford a lamb, You'd bring some pigeons. You'd bring a couple of turtle doves. And the verses right before this passage tell us that this is when Jesus's parents are bringing him to the temple. Interestingly, they bring him with a couple of turtle doves because Jesus's family, apparently, um, they're impoverished. Jesus did not come as the rich and powerful. He did not come as the famous or as the elite. He came as one of us, somebody below the poverty line. Somebody who perhaps if he'd lived today might have needed food stamps. He was a man of the people. He wasn't so full of himself. He was God in the flesh, but he was one of us. His parents come into the temple in their poverty to bring these two turtle doves and to offer this sacrifice to say, here is our son. We offer him to the God of Israel. And here's what happens. Verse 25 says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take your word. Which is about you. And that you'd use it to penetrate our hearts. To transform us. That you'd draw us to you today. You'd give us hope for the new year. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus comes into the temple as a baby, about 40 days old, right? His parents are bringing him in with their gift of two turtle doves. They're preparing to offer this sacrifice. And what you would do is you would would give your offering to the priest and he would sacrifice it upon the altar or do whatever the customs and the rituals were that were required. And you would probably say a prayer, a prayer of blessing and offer this child to God. Now, I don't know what was running through their minds as they were doing that because they understood that this was no ordinary child, right? Because they understood the whole Mary was a virgin thing. If that doesn't blow your mind, then you need to read the Christmas story again. Because what Christians have been teaching, what we have been believing, what we have been proclaiming for 2000 years is that Jesus was born of a virgin. I know, right? It's not scientifically possible. But neither is creation. Neither is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Neither is all the miracles that Jesus performed, turning water into wine. Christianity, we talked about this last week. Christianity is based upon real historical events. We don't just base our beliefs upon the ethical teachings of our leader and be like, well, you know, Jesus taught some great stuff on the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to try to live that out. Yeah, there's truth to that. But even more, Christianity pushes back against that idea and says, let's go deeper. Let's base the whole thing. Let's base our entire belief system upon whether or not a certain set of events actually occurred. And there was this one mind-blowingly awesome event where a virgin conceived of a son. It had been predicted hundreds of years prior to this by the prophet Isaiah who said that a virgin would conceive, would bear a son. His name would be called Emmanuel. So they know the backstory. Maybe everybody else in the temple that day doesn't understand that this child was conceived when Mary was a virgin. Maybe they don't understand all of that because they don't know the story. But Mary and Joseph, they're walking into the temple to offer this child to God, knowing that he's supposed to be called Jesus which means that he will save his people from their sins. And they're knowing that he was born of a virgin. They're like, this is no ordinary child. Maybe they got in a line that day. Maybe there were a hundred other Jewish couples standing in line with, with their lambs if they were rich or their turtle doves if they were poor. And they're all standing there together to offer their babies to the God of Israel. But Mary and Joseph are standing there Knowing that their child is unique. Their child is special. I don't know if they understand the details. I don't understand or or know if they understood that he was God in the flesh. But they do know that his conception was miraculous. His origin is supernatural. And so they stand there and they offer him to God. But while they're doing that, at some point in this process, in this ritual, there's this elderly gentleman named Simeon who comes up and starts talking to them. And Simeon was a unique individual in that he's been walking with God a long time now. Walking with God a long time, and he's so tight with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has told him some really good news. He said, Simeon, you are not going to die until the Messiah the king of Israel, comes. Now, he was old. I don't exactly know how old he was, but he's this this old guy. He's been waiting a long time. And he's been hoping. And what Simeon and Mary and Joseph learn in this encounter in the temple is that there is reason for hope. We kind of gloss over this part of the Christmas story. We focus on Jesus with the sheep and the shepherds and the and the angels. But there's this part of the Christmas story too that I think is so significant and so important for us where we are at. Because these three individuals, as they're holding Jesus, as they're blessing Jesus, as they're offering him back to his father, they learn the significance of hope. And that hope is wrapped up in this person, this little baby boy. I think in this passage we see three reasons why we can have hope. Three reasons that develop from this story. First off is that we can have hope because God is in control. We can have hope because God is in control. If you look back at verse 29, notice what Simeon says. When he, when he comes in and he sees the baby and the Holy Spirit just it says he's moved by the Holy Spirit. So he goes into the temple, he sees this child and he knows that's the one. And then, is there, okay, what does he call God? Can you read, Can you read those first two words there? What does he call God? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What's he saying? He's saying, God, I can die now because you have kept your promise. But it's interesting what he calls God. God has a lot of different names, a lot of different titles and attributes and different names that are recorded on the pages of scripture. But in this moment, in this moment where Simeon has been waiting a long time, it says, for the consolation of Israel. And I'll explain that in just a second. He's been waiting a long time for this and maybe he's been discouraged and maybe he's been waiting, it seems like forever and ever. Then he sees the baby. Then the Messiah is here. And he decides to call God his sovereign Lord. What is a, a sovereign Lord? It's a master. It's the guy who's in charge. One the one and only. That's right, Wilson. He is the king. He has total and ultimate authority. And he does what he wants. But what he does, he's not some evil dictator, some evil tyrant. What he does is for the good of his people. And Simeon, Simeon looks at this baby and his cry, his instinctive cry is sovereign Lord because he understands that God is in control. Now, if you look back at verse 25, you see what he was discouraged about, what he was waiting for. It says that he was very righteous and very devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? He's waiting for God's kingdom to come. In the Old Testament, God had made a certain set of promises to the Jewish people, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to Solomon, to Jeremiah. There were all of these different covenants and promises and all of these different expectations. And the Jewish people, they longed to see these promises fulfilled. And the biggest and the best promise of them all was that one day there would be a Jewish king who would come, who would be a descendant of King David. And of King Solomon. And he would sit upon the throne in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he would rule over the nations with a rod of iron forever and forever and forever. And God would pour out his blessing upon them. But that was hundreds of years ago. And Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for that kingdom to come. He's waiting for this liberator to arrive because you see in the hundreds of years that have, had a, have, have lapsed since that promise was made, the Roman empire has taken over Israel. There's no Jewish king on the throne in Jerusalem. No, the Jews are being forced to pay taxes to some Caesar who lives in Rome. They're being forced to say, hail Caesar. They're being forced to say that Caesar is Lord. They're being forced to carry a soldier's pack for a mile. If a soldier came up to you as a Jewish citizen and said, carry my pack for a mile, you had to do it. Or they could throw you in jail. They could raise your taxes. They could kill you. And so there was all this seething and this resentment, this feeling of oppression and injustice against the Jewish people. You, you build that up for hundreds of years. Knowing that you're on the side of right. That you're on the side of justice. Because all of these promises have been given to you and to your forefathers. To Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Jeremiah. And the list goes on. You know you're on the side of right. But you don't see the answer. That's when it's easy to lose hope. But when Simeon walked into the temple, all his hope was right there wrapped up in that little baby because he understood in a moment that his God was not just some God who sits on the throne, checking his iPhone, checking the scores, but no, God is the sovereign Lord, the King who is active in the world and he's been orchestrating world events. History has been unfolding according to his plan. And so the Assyrian has been waiting this long time for the consolation of Israel God has been in control every step of the way. That's the only way to interpret Simeon's reaction. He sees the baby and he calls God his sovereign Lord. What he's saying is, I understood that you had a plan. Now, if you'd rewinded 700 years or 500 years or even a hundred years, and you'd ask somebody, do you understand God's sovereign plan? They probably would have said no. We don't get it. Why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't he sent that liberator? Why hasn't he sent that Messiah? Why hasn't he stopped this injustice? But then it all makes sense in hindsight, right? It always does. When Simeon saw the baby, he recognized his God as the sovereign Lord. Why can we have hope? Because God is in control. God is still in control. He wasn't just in control over the situation in Israel. He wasn't just in control over the situation, over the Jewish monarchy and who was on the throne and who wasn't. He wasn't just in control over what happened in Bethlehem on a starry night 2,000 years ago. Jesus is still in control of your life and of our lives and of our country today. You might lack hope but that doesn't mean that God is not in control. And I think what God is saying to us is the same thing that he would have said to Simeon. Look to me as your sovereign Lord because I've got this. I've got this. The Christmas story is a story that reminds us that God's got this. I don't know exactly what this is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's on your plate this week. Or what's happened to you this year? So I, I know some of the things that you have shared with me, but I don't know everything. And that's okay, God does. And He is the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control, the one who is orchestrating events for His glory and your good. We can't always understand that. We can't always make sense of that. But it's truth. And Simeon eclipse for him in this moment. He can have hope. Because God is in control. But we can also have hope because God offers salvation to everyone. We can have hope because God offers salvation to everyone. Look back at verse 29. Continuing right where he left off, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He says, you can go ahead and you can take me now. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go to heaven for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, this was kind of a, um, a mind blowing statement here. We just kind of. 2,000 years later, we just kind of rapidly read through verses like this without realizing the significance of what they are saying, especially because I think probably all of us here are what you'd call Gentiles. There might be one or two of you who might feel like you have some, some Jewish blood in you, some Jewish lineage, and if so, that's cool. Okay, But most of us are probably Gentiles, which a Gentile is someone who is not a Jew. So what happens in this verse is he says, My eyes have seen your salvation... Now, what did he just see? Who did he just see? The baby, right? And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Who is the salvation? It's Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of what? All All nations. A light for revelation to the what? The Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, earlier we said that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was longing for this this kingdom to come. He's longing for the yoke of Roman oppression to be overthrown. He's longing for justice on earth in his time. He's longing for all of the hopes and dreams of national Israel to be realized in this moment. He has a very totally Israel-centric way of thinking about salvation. But then he sees the baby. He sees Jesus. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, alike for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What is he saying? He's saying, I look at this baby and I instinctively know that God wants everyone to be saved. He has made a way for both Gentiles and Jews to be saved. Now, I don't know if Simeon understood the lineage of this little baby. Sometimes we think of Jesus as a Jewish man, and he he certainly was. But it's also true that when you go back and you read Matthew chapter 1, you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you see that there are five women who are mentioned in his genealogy, which is pretty significant. Because typically when you read ancient genealogies, uh, they leave the women out. It's the custom of the day. But Jesus is elevating these women in writing them into his story. Four out of the five women are Gentiles. They are not Jews. They are what you would have considered an outsider by, that, by the standard of that time. But Jesus takes those who are on the outside and he brings them into the center of his story. And these are four ladies who have contributed to the lineage of Jesus Christ. So he's got woven into the tapestry of his Jewish blood. He has a little Gentile in him, a little Gentile in Jesus Christ. He is a man who is of all nations and he comes for all nations Simeon says, I see that you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He doesn't dismiss the promises and and the plans that God had made for Israel. He still has those plans and he still has those promises and he still has those dreams. He says, but I realize it's far broader than that. It's far grander than that because God has a plan for everybody, for all the nations, For all the people groups on the earth. For men and women. For rich and poor. For Jews and Gentiles. For those who are near. And those who are far. Sometimes we might feel that we're farther away from God than others. But this story reminds us that Jesus came equally for all. He came to be that bearer of light, to produce revelation. That's that's God's uh, unfolding plan, his truth, to provide that to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And that's kind of a recurring theme throughout the New Testament is that God comes for the Jews and for the Gentiles. Paul said, would later say in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of of the gospel for it is the power of God That saves everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. And saying Greeks was just another way of saying all the Gentiles or everybody else. In other words, people like you and I. So God comes and he saves Jews. Why? Because that's what he promised in the Old Testament. And God comes and he saves Gentiles. Why? Because that was even hinted at in the Old Testament too. And because this this salvation is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Why can we have hope? Because God doesn't leave anybody out. We can have hope because Jesus came to redeem you. He came to buy you back from your slavery of sin, to set you free. The Christmas story is a story of hope because it reminds us that Jesus came to save everybody. But the third and final point we can have hope because the Christmas story is only the beginning. We can have hope because the Christmas story is only the beginning. Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother, that's Joseph and Mary, they marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own So, too. Simeon understood that Christmas was just the beginning of the story. In fact, it wasn't even really the beginning of the story. Because the story of God is the the story of the world that's been unfolding. But it reaches its climax at this moment. The climax is not the end. It continues to unfold. This Christmas story doesn't end with Jesus in a manger Ultimately, it ends with Jesus ascending to his father after having died been buried and then raised from the dead on our behalf. And this is what Simeon is hinting at. He says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I don't know if Simeon, you know, it, it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and was communicating with him. I'm not sure how that worked, but he's got some relationship with God where he's seeing basically into the future. And I don't know what level of detail he had. I don't know if he understood what was gonna come 30 or so years down the road. As Jesus's ministry and life would produce this huge wedge in Israel and you were either for him or you were against him. I don't know if Simeon understood exactly that that was gonna happen, but, but he, he certainly hints at it, saying this child... Is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. People will speak against him and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Thirty plus years later, a lot of people's hearts were exposed when they encountered this man called Jesus. It's funny how that always happens. Our hearts are always exposed when we come face to face with Jesus. Because you don't get to be neutral. Once you meet Jesus, you either got to be for him or against him. And that's what would happen. And Simeon understood that that's what would happen. And of course, we know the story. We know how the Pharisees picked sides and they chose to be against him. We know how other people, they picked to be on Jesus' side. There were guys like Joseph of Arimathea and and, and the women who followed Jesus around. There were the uh, 11 disciples. And then, of course, there was Judas Iscariot who sided with the Pharisees. But there were no neutral people. Not even Pontius Pilate got to be neutral. He had to pick a side. He tried to wash his hands of the matter, but ultimately he picked. He sided against Jesus. Simeon said, there's coming a time when the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Every heart will be laid bare. Every heart will be exposed because of this man. He will force everyone to make a decisive decision for or against him. And then he. He looks at Mary and he says. A sword will pierce your own soul too. What is he saying? He's saying. You're going to experience the pain. That only a mother can can feel. You're going to experience the pain. That only, only a mom can endure. When she loses a child. I don't know if Simeon understood. How Jesus was going to die. Doesn't say. But he does understand in this moment, 40 days after Jesus' birth, he understands and he prophesies that Mary is going to experience incredible grief because of her son's death. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Now this doesn't sound very hopeful, right? I mean, who wants to hear this 40 days into your son's life here on earth. You want to rejoice. You want to be happy. This is supposed to be a, a nice time. You come to the temple and you, you offer your child to God. And you, you offer the sacrifices. And it's all good and it's all dandy and it's all great. And Simeon's talking like doom and gloom. Like he's maybe going to die and your heart's going to be crushed. How does this provide hope? It provides hope. Because it reminds us that the Christmas story is only the beginning. You see, if Jesus just came and was born of a virgin, yes, that's pretty spectacular. But if that was the end of the miracle, we probably wouldn't be talking about this. That story of a virgin birth would just be some interesting and unique footnote in history. The History Channel might make some documentaries on it every now and again, but it wouldn't get much attention In the overall flow of history. You see, the interesting thing was that the miracle didn't end. The Christmas story did not end. No, 40 days later, after Jesus is born, the prophet Simeon says, There is more to come. And the hope lies in the fact that this man, this child that we are holding, is God who has come down and he has a destiny. And his destiny will cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And it will lay hearts bare. And yes, he is going to come and he is going to die. Again, I don't know if Simeon understood all of those details. I don't know if he understood what was going to unfold over the next 30 plus years. But you and I know the story. We've, We've read... The gospel accounts. We've heard sermons preached on Good Friday and Easter. We know what the rest of the story is. And the rest of the story, in short, is that Jesus, 30 or so years later, would lay down his life as a substitute for us on the cross. Just like he and his parents brought those, those two turtle doves, or if you had a little bit more money, you would bring a lamb into the temple and you would sacrifice that lamb in your place so that the firstborn son could go free. That's exactly what happens on the cross, is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on the cross in your place and in my place and in the place of all the Gentiles and all the Jews because Jesus came for everybody. And he's our substitute, and his heart is crushed. The whole wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ. He takes it willingly, he takes it by choice, and it kills him. The reason he does it is because somebody has to pay the penalty for humanity's sins. That's why God became a man. That's why a virgin conceived. That's why a baby was born in Bethlehem. That's why a star shone brightly to announce the birth of this king because this king wasn't just going to reign over some kingdom in Jerusalem yeah he'll one day do that too but he has bigger plans than that the redemption of the human race so that you and I who are sinners bound for hell can have our course averted through Jesus Christ who died as our substitute died in our place But of course, the miracle doesn't stop then. If it just stopped with some convicted criminal dying on a cross, well, that happened to a lot of people. Again, that would just be another footnote in history. But the miracle continues, the story continues, and we celebrate on Easter that Jesus rose from the dead. Because the Christmas story doesn't end. The miracle is still unfolding. This God in the flesh, this God incarnate, that we talked about last week, John says, I touched him, I saw him, I heard him. He's real, he's legit. He dies and he's raised from the dead. So that is why we can have hope. So Simeon looks at this couple, Mary and Joseph, they have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. All they know is they are carrying a very unique and special child who will save his people from their sins. And he tells them, you can have hope Because the Christmas story is only the beginning. So I want to suggest a few next steps to you this morning, this afternoon. A few next steps. This is where your card comes in. I want to encourage you to take a look at your card. I've got a a few suggested next steps on there. Maybe one of these resonates with your heart or maybe there's something else altogether that God is speaking to you about and you want to Check the other box and write, write that down. First off, one suggested next step is that I will commit my life struggles to Jesus. I will commit my life struggles to Jesus. So, I don't know what 2016 has thrown your way. I don't know whether you've faced job changes, health problems, didn't like the results of the election, Whatever. A lot of us are grappling with a lot of different things, and it can be very easy to lose hope. But the Christmas story reminds us to push back against that narrative of despair that the world foists upon us. Instead, we cling to Jesus. We cling to hope. We commit our life's struggles to Jesus because he is the source of hope. So maybe that's what God is speaking to you about today. There have been struggles that you have been facing and you have been discouraged and you have not been trusting him. Christmas is a great reminder that you can trust him because he's the sovereign Lord and he's got this. For hundreds of years, he was unfolding his plan. Simeon had to wait for it. All the Israelites had to wait for it, but then it came in the person of Jesus Christ. The second next step that I'd like to suggest Is that you asked Jesus to save you. Perhaps you're here today and like Stephen, a lot of what you've been saying about the Christmas story sounds nice and all. But I'm not totally sure that I believe that. And that's okay. What we want is Mosaic to be a safe place for people from all walks of life to explore the claims of Christianity. I make no uh, apologies that I'm a follower of Jesus We're always going to approach all of these things from the perspective of following Jesus. But I do want every single person to feel free and to feel that this is a safe place to explore who Jesus is. And if he's real, and if he is real, what are the implications of that on my life? I've talked about how the Christmas story was only the beginning and it could provide hope because it's not the end. Because Simeon said there's coming a day when, when he's going to set people in Israel against one another and, and your soul will be crushed as if by a sword. Simeon was looking forward to the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. What we will commemorate when we get to Good Friday. Maybe today what you need to do is to ask Jesus to save you. Maybe you feel like you are outside of the Christian faith. Or maybe you're not sure, maybe you've been coming to church all your life. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you even put money in the offering plate and you feel pretty good about yourself, but you're not sure that you have accepted Jesus's gift for you on the cross as your very own. I would encourage you that tonight could be a night where you could ask Jesus to save you. So I did that when I was five years old. A lot of people say, it well, Stephen. you were five. What could you know about God? And it's true. I didn't know much about God at all. Um, But my dad preached a sermon from Luke chapter 16 about this guy named Lazarus and this rich man and this story. And that story gripped my heart that night and I went home and I talked to my dad about that message, about that passage, that story that Jesus told. My dad explained to me that I was a sinner, like the rich man in the story, and that I deserved to die and to go to hell. But that... Jesus loved me, and so he took my punishment on the cross. And if I asked him to save me, he'd take me to heaven like Lazarus in the story. And I said, yes, that's what I want. I believe in that. That was all I knew. If you'd asked me to explain the Trinity, you'd asked me to explain the virgin birth, I would have flunked all of that. I still have my foot sometimes and trying to explain complicated stuff like that. But the reality is I knew just a very few basic, simple truths of Christianity. I'm a sinner. God loves me. He took my place on the cross. He'll save me if I ask. You see, the, the mistake that we all make is that we try to earn God's favor. We try to earn God's love and we're like, I could just be a good person. If I could just try harder, if I could just you know, give up this sin or that sin or quit this or quit that, then God will love me and then God will save me and I can go to heaven. But the whole story of Christmas provides hope because we were people without hope and somebody showed up to give us hope. It wasn't that we were like, all right, we can have a little bit of hope. You know, we'll, we'll muscle through, we'll power through, we'll save ourselves. No, we couldn't why God became a man. So maybe today as, as the band leads us in one final song, maybe you'd just cry out to God and say, God, save me. I don't understand all that there is to know about Christianity and I don't need to know. I don't know all that there is to know about the virgin birth or the Trinity or the resurrection. And I'm still a little sketchy on the details, but I'm willing to believe I'm willing to take that first step of faith and to trust you with the next steps to come. Jesus, I believe. Please save me. Maybe that's the box that you need to check tonight. Or maybe the third suggestion there is, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to share this Christmas story. So as the band comes, prepares to lead us in one final song, I want to end with this quote. This quote. From a guy named William Lane. William Lane was a writer who said that when God gives a gift. He wraps it in a person. I thought what a poignant way. To think about Christmas. Now Sonia and I are pretty excited to give gifts to our children. This week. Malia's birthday is actually this week. So giving her birthday presents and Christmas gifts all in one week. And we're excited to do that because we're parents who love our children. But how much more? God loves to give gifts to his creation. And the best gift that he could conceive was eternal life. And as we saw in 1 John last week, eternal life is associated with Jesus. They're intertwined. When God gives a gift, he wraps it in a person. That's what the incarnation is. It's when when God enwraps himself in humanity. He becomes one of us. He suffers with us. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope. We're going to sing. I want you to respond. How you feel God is calling you to respond. Maybe you want to sit and reflect and pray just listen to the band sing. Maybe, maybe you want to, to stand and raise your hands and, and sing along with them. Whatever you want to do, however you want to respond, I just want to encourage you to hear God's voice speaking to you and do what he's calling you to do. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful.